Hey everybody, uh, this is the final week of our Genesis sermon series. I'm really glad that you're here uh, joining me and this is going to be a great conclusion to the series. It actually has a lot uh, to say to us about the situation that we're in right now. So I'm uh, excited to explore the text. We're gonna be in a number of Bible passages uh, throughout this sermon. So if you wanna go ahead and pause me and, and go and grab your Bible, uh, I'll be giving you a heads up on those passages and I would love for you to be uh, in God's word as we're studying it together uh, while you watch this video. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into today's message, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we wanna thank you uh, for this morning and we wanna thank you for being uh, a God that is in complete control. Uh, and we're uh, grateful for that. Our hope is in you. Uh, I just pray this morning as we study this text, as we study your word, that your joy, hope, and peace uh, would come into our homes and would change us and make us new. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I want you to spend a little bit of time thinking right now while you're watching this video about what are some of the stories that you tell from your past? What are your favorite stories to tell? I've been thinking about some of mine. I, I love to tell the story of being called into ministry, how I was sitting around the campfire at camp one year and I heard a guy that is now my friend preach a sermon uh, and I just felt the spirit moving me that he was calling me to preach, teach, and pastor with my life. I will never forget that moment. I love to tell the story and I've had the joy of knowing that calling ever since I was in middle school. I often tell the story of my mom passing away when I was 17. Even 26 years later, I find myself telling that story somewhat often because of how it defined me and shaped me in some profound ways. I tell the story of meeting and marrying my wife often, how she started attending a church that I was pastoring in. She came to the small group that I was in. She brought cheesecake in hand. The first thing we ever did together was go to a Michigan State uh, basketball game together, and it hit on all the big three, worship, cheesecake, and Michigan State, and she was beautiful to boot. It was meant to be. Uh, I love to tell the story of bringing home uh, our kids, that, that few things have shaped Cheryl and I's faith, like the way that God worked through the system of adoption to bring our family together. It was an amazing faith-building experience. Those are some of my stories. You might wanna consider actually pausing just for a minute and, and having a talk, if you have people with you, having a talk about what are some of your favorite stories to tell at this point in your life. I, I suppose that maybe someday we'll all tell the story of pandemic 2020 how we were homebound and we were scared, but we had each other. Stories are a powerful thing and we all have them. We've been in this series, I mentioned before, this is the last week of the series called Origin Story. And one of the things about Genesis is the amount of incredible stories there are in this text. And we've been studying them together, how these stories have taught us and challenged us and encouraged us. We've been in the story of creation, how God created the heavens and the earth. And in, in that story, we saw his power, his creativity, and his love laid out for us in, in great display. We, we saw how important our freedom is to God in that story and our free will to make choices and to make decisions. We've seen the story of the fall in this series, how human beings use that freedom, that gift of freedom that God had given us to choose sin and how that sin resulted in human beings needing to leave the garden because God didn't want them to live forever in their sinful state. 
We've seen the story of the first murder, how that sin of Adam and Eve trickled down into their family and found its way into the first family. And uh, Cain ends up uh, murdering Abel over a worship issue, ultimately over the issue of jealousy. We've seen the story of the flood and how unbelievably wicked the human race had become. And God decides that he's going to start over with a righteous remnant, Noah and his kids, and how he promises to never do that again. We've seen the rebuilding, the story of the rebuilding after the flood. We've seen the story of the Tower of Babel, how human beings desired to make a name for themselves instead of allowing God to make their name great. And we've seen the ramifications of that decision. And now we come to the end of the series. And guess what the story is at the end of the series? You guessed it. It is a genealogy. Between the Tower of Babel and the next big chapter in the book of Genesis, we get to study together a list of people's names. And there are 16 verses of people's names from the flood to, to Terah. And then at the very end, we see a shorter list. And I, I want to show you that list. It's starting in verse 27 of Genesis 11. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she'd not been able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Uh, but when they got to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And then the very next kind of big moment in the story is chapter 12. And we're going to be studying this. I, I mentioned to you uh, throughout this series that what we're going to do is January to Easter, we're going to be studying a, a section of the book of Genesis. And eventually, after I think four years, we're going to work our way through. Next January, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. And here, here's the story. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So here's what we see in, in, at the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12 is that God has a plan to bring about blessing with land and a great name. There is a plan in place. But before you get to the plan... You have this list of people throughout Genesis 11, a list of people who were living in their time and doing life, people that were getting married, working jobs, feeding their families, educating their children. And it begs the question to me, this Genesis 11 question is how do you live your life when you are in the middle of a story? How do you live life when you're in the middle of a story? Because all of this stuff in Genesis happens before, and all of this stuff starting in chapter 12 is going to happen again. But right now in chapter 11, it's just a list of names. And so if you find yourself in that list of names in chapter 11, how do you live when you're in the middle 
of the story. And I think this speaks to where we are in our culture right now that we are in the middle of a storyline and all this stuff happened before and all this stuff's gonna happen later, but we don't know where it's going and we don't know what it's gonna look like. And right now, as a nation, we're in the middle of the story. You could call this chapter 11, living. So how do you live when you're in this spot, when you're in chapter 11 and chapter 12's coming and chapter one through 10's already happened and you're just kind of stuck in the middle, uh, you know, living life, going to the grocery store, doing all the things that we do in life. How do you live life when you're in the middle of the story? And I want to answer that question by showing you three stories in the Bible of a people that were in this exact position. I'm reminded of a story from the nation of Israel. It's found in Exodus 15. If you want to pause the video just for a minute and look up that text. At the end of Genesis, God's people have found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And through several mighty acts, God, through Moses, freed his people from slavery. And they end up on their way to the promised land. Remember, God had promised this land and they're freed from slavery and they're on their way to the promised land. And in between the storyline of slavery and the promised land, one of the first things that happens is in chapter 15, Moses brings up this song of praise. Let me show it to you. It says, then Moses, we're starting uh, right in verse one. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled them into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And listen, it is not much longer after this song of praise that God's people begin to complain to Moses about almost everything. And their complaining becomes so bad that a series of consequences actually fall to God's people. And I think that in the middle of the story, here's what's true for me, and it's probably true for you as well. When you are living in the middle of a storyline, it is easy to start to complain. Our fear and our anxieties kick in about how long are we going to be in the desert? How long is this going to last? Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Complaining almost always happens when our eyes stay fixed on our circumstances. The problem is, and you've probably noticed this too, the problem is, is that complaining just tends to make everything worse. I remember the first day the governor, uh, our Illinois governor, uttered, uh, ordered the shelter-in-place measure. That first morning of shelter-in-place, one of our kids had a serious digestion issue, and it went on for the whole day. And I was mad. I was worried about my kid, but I just found myself complaining. It's like, man, shelter order, and then this digestive issue. God, what on earth is going on? And it just kind of sent me over the edge. And I found that during that day, I found that my complaining wasn't helpful at all. Actually, on the contrary, my complaining made, made things worse because we're all stuck in the house together and I ended up being in kind of a mood that day. Moses teaches us, here's what you do. 
Moses teaches us to lift your eyes up, right? Complaining happens when our eyes are down on our circumstances. Moses teaches us, lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up to the Lord who loves you. Lift your eyes up to the Lord who created you. Lift your eyes up to the Lord who has a plan for you. And when our eyes are lifted up to him, it is a reminder that he is in control. He is. He's in control. It is a reminder that he is worthy to be praised. And it is a reminder that he is what this whole thing called life is all about. And as we lift our eyes up, our eyes start to leave the stress of our current surroundings. So lesson number one, in the middle of a storyline, when you find yourself in the middle, when Genesis 11 living, and you're in the middle of a story, do your best to praise, not complain. Listen, we have to allow ourselves a little grace here. First of all, we all have our days and we all have our moments when life gets overwhelming. Every one of us has bad days, all right? That's not what we're talking about here. Here's what we're talking about, is don't be like Israel, where a day of complaining soon became a way of life. That's the warning here, is let's not be like Israel, where we have a bad day, we have a grumbling day, we have a complaining day, and all of a sudden, one day of complaining becomes just a way of life. Here's what Moses says, lift your eyes up to God. Praise his name. That's lesson number one. All right, lesson number two is found in Jeremiah 29. If you want to pause me just for a minute and find Jeremiah 29. I'm reminded of the story of the people of God when they are defeated and they are taken into captivity in Babylon. There comes this time where uh, they, they uh, they are taken into captivity and there's some really tragic scenes that come with them being defeated and taken into slavery. But one of the first things that happens is that through his prophet, God sends a message to his people. These are people that are now uh, in, in prison and, and captive uh, and, and in exile. And God sends this message. It's starting in verse four of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters, uh, for, for, for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have been carried into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and uh, diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams. Uh, Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promises to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me, uh, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Captivity. 
I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord, and you will bring, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. Sometimes in the middle of the storyline, Sometimes what happens to you and what happens to me is we kind of freeze and think, man, life is going to start when this thing ends. And we might be tempted to see life that way right now, that, that life is just kind of frozen in time. And someday we're going to be released back into the public. And that's when life will start. I love what God says to his people. He says, man, to the best of your ability, when you're in captivity, to the best of your ability, live life now. Look at his advice. <clears throat> Build houses, marry, have sons and daughters. Now, it's true that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. And unless something seriously goes wrong here, we won't be in this position for that long. 70 years is a long time. But I still think it's good advice to ask the question, how can I live life right now? In the middle of this storyline, how can I live life? Maybe you're working from home right now. Instead of being frustrated by that, maybe view it as an opportunity to spend additional time with your family. Maybe you're home right now by yourself, and that's a really hard position to be in. But maybe you seize this opportunity right now to do some phone calling or texting or note, or, or note writing. But we're asking the question, how can I live life right now in the middle of the story? I'm not just going to wait for life to come someday. I'm going to live life right now. Even though we're, we're practicing social distancing, even though we've been ordered to stay home, that whole thing, I'm going to figure out how to live life in the circumstances I'm in right now. I love the other thing he says. He says, hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. This thing's going to come to an end. God reminds them that I am going to do something. I have a plan for you. And I know that God has a plan for all of you at home and, and me here on the stage. God has a plan for us as well. God has a plan for this pandemic that, that has kind of come onto our world. God's going to use it for something good. I'm confident of that. When we lose hope is when we look at things and we say, man, what is the pandemic storyline going to do next? What is the news going to do next? And our focus gets on there. But again, when we lift our eyes up to God, it is a reminder that we can ask a better question than what's the pandemic going to do. We can ask the question, what is God going to do? How is God going to change things? How is God going to make things new? How is God going to work through these difficult circumstances? So he says, man, live life and certainly don't lose hope. Don't lose hope because God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God is in control. The last story we're going to look at is Luke 1. If you want to pause me for a minute and find Luke 1, Luke 1 verse 5. This story is, uh, happens right after the 400 years between the Old and New Testament. This time is sometimes called the 400 years of silence. It's the time, it's the quintessential time in between storylines. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this 400 years where we really don't know much of what happened and we don't really hear from God. And it's right kind of coming out of this whole season of silence that we read this in Luke 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of, of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, notice how they're described. They are described as righteous. 
They are described as uh, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And we studied this word uh, blamelessly earlier in the story of Noah. If you remember, uh, blamelessly doesn't mean perfect. Blamelessly means different. That, that they were different from the people around them. And I think this is a great reminder to us as Christians that when you are in the middle of a storyline and a bunch of stuff has happened before and a bunch of stuff is gonna happen after, but you just don't know how it's gonna be resolved, it is a golden opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to be different. That we are not gonna hoard groceries. Instead, we're gonna practice generosity. We are not going to freak out we're not going to freak out. Instead, we're going to walk in faith. We are going to love well, hope well. We are not going to point to politicians as our hope. We're going to point people to Jesus as our hope. We're going to serve well. We are called to be different. And in the middle of the storyline, this is exactly uh, how Zechariah and his wife chose to live. They said, man, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We know what happened in the past, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But for right now, today, we're going to be different. We're going to be blameless. We're going to be righteous. We're going to choose to be an example to our neighbors and our family and our friends. And what an opportunity for the church right now to practice some of the, the things that we believe in, that God is in control, that God has a plan, that God brings us joy, hope, and peace in the middle of difficult, difficult circumstances. What a time for the church to practice these truths. And I hope that the CNN article I read the other day comes true, that there is a revival in this land, but it's gonna start in the church when we practice and, and show the things that God, uh, that, that, that God shows us when we practice and uh, demonstrate his character and his love and his grace. So how do you live in the middle of the story? First, keep your eyes up. It's easy to look at circumstances. Keep your eyes up on the Lord. Second, live life to the best of your ability. You know, following our governmental authorities, live life to the best of your abilities, and certainly don't lose hope. And thirdly, be different. Be righteous. Be unique. And this time, show peace. And this time, show generosity. And this time, show grace. Let's be different. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example in this, that Jesus was and is different. And as we follow him, may we be different as well. So I pray for our church right now. I pray for every person watching this video that maybe is feeling anxious, afraid, uncertain. I just pray right now that your spirit of joy, hope, and peace would come into the homes of the people watching this, and we would be changed by your grace. We would be renewed by your grace, and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This is a time in our service where we would normally practice communion. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to do that at home right now, to take some bread representing Jesus' body and some juice representing his blood, and to just remember, first of all, how Jesus overcame. He overcame difficult circumstances, and so we can overcome difficult circumstances. But as I said last Sunday, it's also an opportunity to remember how Jesus comes close to us. 
Right? That's, what, that, that's part of what communion is. It's a, it's a remembrance of the closeness of Jesus, that he left heaven and he came to earth to be close to us. It's an opportunity for us to remember that Jesus does not practice social distancing. He is very near to us right now. And so my prayer for you is that you are feeling that. And for those of you especially that are home alone right now, that you would feel that closeness to Jesus and that you would be renewed by it. So as you practice communion, just know how much Jesus loves you. And I also want to take an opportunity to say, I love you too. And I am really eager and looking forward to when we can worship all together as a church family. Just uh, to, to kind of let you know the, the future. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to start a two-week kind of mini-series on the idea of Easter. And then coming out of Easter, we're going to do a sermon series called Fear Not. We're going to be five weeks in the idea of, of not being afraid. And so I'm, we're looking forward to when we can gather together. But for now, you can see me on TV, uh, on your TV or computer, tablet, whatever. I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.